You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hell is that, little man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. To a shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Okay. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown Six pass touchdown of the day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, it is deep dive autopsy aftermath on a victory Tuesday. Feels great to say that again. We'll look at the tape, where things worked, where they didn't. We'll look at the key stats and get you caught up on where the fins stack up through seven weeks. We'll hear from head coach Mike McDaniel. Take a look at the snap counts and much, much more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is... The Drive Time Podcast. So we start, as we do, by dropping the phone out of our pocket here and taking a look at the tape from the Dolphins' Week 7 win over the Pittsburgh Steelers. And we start on offense, and we go right back to the quarterback position with a Tua tape. And I just had a lot on the tape that I thought was very good, a lot on the tape that can obviously have some room to grow and improve upon. And the nice part about it, as we heard from head coach Mike McDaniel on his Monday press conference, is that it's really nice to be able to make corrections after a victory. And that is what we're doing here with the Steelers tape. So I loved the first pop of the game where Trent Sherfield takes a jet motion pre-snap, which pulls Minka Fitzpatrick down as the formation goes from three by one to two by two. And he converts his responsibility his assignment into a pass rush alongside uh, Jalen Waddle, who's over there and gets left uncovered and Tua just pulls the ball right out of Raheem Mostert's belly and replaces the blitz with the football for 19 yards that is picture perfect great way to start seeing the field really well from your first snap it's a good look and one theme I thought we saw was the location of the footballs that are typically bread and butter for Tua, right? Right on the money, leading you right into big yak. That's why this offense works so well. And it just wasn't quite there. I don't think it was an accuracy thing in this game, but timing that just wasn't really on par all night. Like the, the Steelers were in the zone coverage looks they were in, and against zone, you're throwing to spots. And the second completion, a 17-yard gain for the Cheetah, Tua separates his hands before Cheetah's out of the break, throwing behind an out-leveraged linebacker who winds up chasing Mike Gesicki inside, and that's the beauty of this offense is the design to create space with every route having a purpose to create that space. So the ball is right there to that soft spot, to the vacated spot, but it's off of Tyreek's back shoulder. That's kind of similar to what we saw back in week one where it was quickly ironed out in week two, but perhaps first game off of a little bit of a lull, not a lot of practice reps for the last couple of weeks for Tua Tungavailoa. I think you can assume that will get back to what we're used to after a night where it just wasn't quite there. But just two plays later, his next pass, another very awesome design where Alec Ingold is the back flanking Tua, but then Raheem comes in motion and they fake the jet sweep. Raheem picks up that unblocked edge and you see Tua kind of operate from these pockets that close in on him by kind of taking some extra quick steps to put himself in a position to 
potentially get away from that pressure, but also to have his arm slot ready to go and get that thing out quick where he slides backwards and that little subtle slide in the pocket buys Gasicki enough time for one more step, which clears him behind the linebacker who had taken the false step flowing off the action in the running game. So the beautiful part of this offense is a symbiotic relationship between creating false steps and Tua's ability to see those false steps and throw against out-leveraged players. In this instance, he's flat-footed because he has to be, again, ready to move, but the ball is up and out from that flat-footed position really as quickly as it possibly could have been, and even then, he's not aligned because he can't be, but the ball is still perfect. 18 more yards. Offense is cooking at this point. Those are the traits in Tua that I love the most, is how he can speed up the process and still be so precise in the process and the ball was perfect to Mike and at first you know I thought moving forward here to the ball in the end zone that was off of Gasicki's face mask the first incompletion of the night at first I thought Mike just missed it but on tape you can see clearly the defensive back rakes at Gasicki's arm and pulls it away and that creates that gap between the hands the triangle right you put your hands in a triangle you catch the football it created that gap which allowed the ball right through that into his face mask. They didn't throw the flag for DPI, but it's not a drop if you ask me because he was impacted by the defender. Then on the touchdown, and man, I, again, love the way this quarterback manages the pocket for the various rushes that teams can throw at him. They bring four, they fan it out. So what does he do? He says, well, if you're going to rush off the edges and you open up the inside, I'll attack that part of the field And that can create some breakdowns in coverage because I'm still a threat with my eyes up to throw the football down the field. So he uses that space inside to climb in the pocket, which, man, we've missed that ability. It just, for whatever reason, not every quarterback does it. On this roster, he's the one that does it the best. You have that four-man rush, and then Pittsburgh has it bracketed really across the board. And three of them have two defenders per man. So, like, no chance at a completion. And Waddle in the rare instance that this happens, is blanketed by the one defender running underneath him. So Tua has to create, and he does. He attacks the line, quickly locates Raheem, knowing exactly where he is in his progression, slings that thing over there, and then Waddle, who couldn't get separation, what does he do but make a great block to spring Raheem right to the pylon. What a play, what a drive from one. Welcome back, Tua. And it rolled right into the next possession where you get a second and five. And Waddle is the only receiver to the field, the short or the, the wide side of the field. And it's that same Ingold shotgun sidecar look where Raheem is in a nasty split up against the tight end or against the tackle in close to the formation in what is an H-back or tight end position. And then he motions for that jet sweep going across from where Alec Ingold is. Like it's Ingold going right, Raheem going left. Tua has the RPO options off of that. And you have Devin Bush, who has been up and down so far in his career for the Steelers, but I thought he played really well in this game, is the curl flat defender, which means he's going to take some of that early hook in the middle of the field, but also he has responsibility to get out to the flat. And Tua looks to the flat, even though there's no route over there. And if you guys are with me back at Locked On Dolphins, I always praised Ryan Fitzpatrick for that, for his ability to create a sense of urgency in the defense that wasn't there. And there was actually clips where I would show you that 2019 season where Fitz would do that. And I would then pull up Alabama tape and say, hey, look, Tua does that stuff in Bama pretty damn well too. Well, it's translated here to the NFL because Devin Bush playing that curl flat, he has to create a false step out of him without having a route to that part of the field. So what does Tua do? You see the head whip over to the flat. You see him stride that way. But the ball's not going there, my friend. Throws it right into the displacement behind where that false step occurred. He creates the window and then fits the window right on 
Waddle's frame between the one and the seven for a catch and run of 25 yards. Beautiful, beautiful quarterback play. Then the throw to Raheem that gets broken up down on the goal line. The little Texas route, the little angle route, arrow route. That's called so many things. Uh, but that was a play where Minka Fitzpatrick is just being Minka Fitzpatrick. And I hate to say it, but he's a, he's a great player. Uh, he comes from the opposite side of the formation and arrives right on time. He had no business being there. I mean, it was a great anticipation throw with fantastic placement that was kind of akin to the Miles Gaskin touchdown in the Jets game last year where he gets blasted right on the goal line because Tua just sticks it in there. It's a tough, you have to make a tough catch and you know you're going to get hit. And on this one, Minka makes a hit that jars the ball free. It's just a great play by Tua, but an even better play by Minka Fitzpatrick. That's why he's an all-pro safety. The high ball that Waddle pulled down, man, that was one of those ones, and we'll hear from Mike McDaniel about this here in a second, where a little better precision could have led to a massive, massive rack opportunity. He had room to run, but he had to go up and get the catch and pull it down. He goes to the turf and, and makes the catch, but we'd lost out on some rack because of that. The ball that Tyreek gets one hand on and nearly turns into a deflected interception, same situation. Tua throws to a spot. Tyreek comes out of the break and throttles down. And we talked about that so many times in the podcast, right? How we love that when the middle of the field's closed, Tua will settle that route down before you run into him so you don't run yourself into a hit and you can secure that 15, 18, 20-yard reception. And in this instance, it looked like Let's throw him into the space because there was some opportunities to run after the catch. Tua addressed it on Sunday night, and it's just it was just guys being on different pages. And I will say, like the waddle throw, just uncharacteristically high on some of these. And, and some of those throws over the middle, that's a dangerous place to live in. So I just expect it to be better uh, because we've seen it be better. This is, this is the outlier, not the, the, the other side of it. Like the good stuff is the expectation. This is the outlier. On the very next drive again, Tua again throws out in front. Tyreek throttles down out of the break. And man, both of those plays are just a hair from being potential big catch and runs, especially uh, this one later on, the, the, the later throw, I should say, the latter throw. And on that same play, man, he had Waddle to the corner for a potential touchdown. So I, I expect, you know, same thing happened where week one against the Patriots just didn't see everything, weren't quite as precise. I think that having more practice reps, having a game situation to work off of, I expect Tua to get right back in the flow and go right back to being, you know, his sharp self. The throw to Trent Sherfield on the final drive of the first half, and this is why, like, again, love this quarterback because it's not a good tape for Tua. Like, we'll, we'll be perfectly blunt about it, but in a tape that's not great, he still mixes in eight or nine throws. We're like, damn, that is good quarterback play. And this one to Sherfield sure as hell was. Uh, this this one goes on near the top of my best Tua throws of the season list that I you know put together. And he lets it go from his own six-yard line. Sherfield's at the 25-yard line, right at the sticks, with a man defender and trail technique, right in the hip pocket. And so when your back is to the quarterback, what does that mean? You can only defend the width of your shoulders. The ball brings Trent from outside the hash marks to right in the middle of the hash marks at the 37-yard line. So he throws the ball 31 yards in the air, right between the one and the four, throwing around the defender with his back turned right on location. Big, big time stuff there to get yourself in position to have a drive and go kick, kick a field goal and get points. And every point in this game was important, right? Then the wheel route on that same drive on third and six to get back into field goal range right before the end of the half. Honey hole, safety come over the top, cornerback underneath, tucks it in before or right in before the safety can get over the top, right over the top of the cornerback dime. And what a catch by Tyreek. We'll talk about that here more in just one second. The location on the Raheem catch and run to start the third quarter where he ran through a bunch of tackles and angry ran it. And I don't know if it made Kyle Brandt's stupid list, but maybe it will. But the high and up 
upfield shoulder throw away from the coverage. Just put him in position to make the run after the catch. That's what you're used to with number one. Again, I think it'll be more consistent and ironed out going forward. I thought the dropped INTs were, were vastly overplayed because, you know, deflected balls where timing's a little bit off. Like, I'm not going to sit here and berate the quarterback for that. The corner shot to Tyreek before the half. We had two guys right in the same vicinity. Both Tyreek and Jalen were right there. You know, I, I thought the one that had the most weight to me, the two that had the most weight was the overshot to Mike Gesicki with the safety hanging out over the top. Tua was high on a couple throws, that one in particular. And when you attack the middle of the field, it's a dangerous way to live, and he got away with that one. The other one was whew, not good. The last throw of the game, Hunter Long's wide open. Durham Smythe was naked on that little peel back where you block and then show the quarterback your numbers. We've seen them run that a few times. I think Gasicki scored a touchdown on a play like that against the Chiefs back in 2020. Would have been an easy first down to either of those guys, but he forces it to Tyreek Hill and nearly turns it over. Those are the two throws that I thought were the worst. On balance, not his best game of the year. Some missed opportunities with, with placement. A couple of instances where things developed downfield with the football already coming out. And a lot of that's part of the design where things, you know, the you make your read low to high. And if, if you, the low is there, you take it. And it, it's hard to, you know, evaluate a, a play call that we don't know about. But I thought there were some instances we had some downfield shots that we did not take. A good start coming back, plenty of good, plenty to work on. I think the expectation will be that he builds on it as early as this week, and we see you know back to the regular two we're used to against the Detroit Lions. The tackle play in this game was fantastic. Teron Armstead and Brandon Shell. Teron Armstead's elite. Brandon Shell's been very good, and I, I saw someone reply to me and said that well, yeah, I wouldn't say very good. Yeah, it's very good. It's been very very good. If it's otherwise, please show me because the way that they can squeeze their splits and make it tight to help the interior, to help create those pockets. But then both tackles can get width and get to their landmarks to run the edge around Tua to create those windows, not just to, so he can see, but to potentially step up and throw from or to, to step up and scramble from. And the way he's so comfortable operating in those pockets, man, I, ha- I don't recall looking this good at the tackle position here in Miami in a long, long time as it did on that game on Sunday night to create those fanned out pockets for Tua to operate from, but they were fantastic. They both were great in the running game, getting reach blocks, cutting guys off, arms set out in space, Brandon Shell as well. Very, very good game from those guys. Those might be your bookends. Liam Eikenberg, at early on, some trouble staying on blocks, spends too much time on the ground still. The double team that he had with Connor was nice, but there's this common theme where he gets on blocks and then the feet kind of go dead on contact. And man, when guys want to hip toss or do anything with the push-pull, they get them off balance easy, and that's why he does wind up on the ground as much as you'll see on the tape. Early in the rep, he can look solid, but then once there's a redirect, it can go bad in a hurry. But... All that said, I thought this was the best push he got all season long. He hammered some double teams, won a lot of the low man battles, and got consistent push up front. And moving into the second quarter, you see more and more good snaps where he's squaring guys up, getting underneath their face mask and really popping them and and controlling the rep. I thought he was playing his best game of his career in this game. Then he had the rep on the play before the fourth down chase stop, just completely got dispatched and it killed the play. So some more uneven play there, but signs from Liam Eikenberg of progress and growth. If you can see that all year long from him, that would be a nice win at that left guard position. Again, Brandon Shell had a great drive block walling off a four eye technique on an outside zone. And I'm going to explain why that's so tough because he is inside your left shoulder as a right tackle and the ball is running left. You have to get across his face. You have to wall him off and stay on balance, crossover step and manage to hold off a 300 pound man or 270 pound man while doing all this. It's not easy. Looked really impressive. The touchdown throw, 
man, he just, he squeezes, and then they want to rush upfield with speed, and he just runs the guy right around the arc to give Tua plenty of space. Raheem had a wide run in the re- in the red zone coming across the formation on that second drive where Shell has to go get the off-ball linebacker who's aligned just outside the hash. Not only does he go get him and square him up, he drives him all the way outside the numbers, giving Moster a perfect stretch cut track to follow. Easy to read the blocks when your guy makes that easy. That's what Brandon Shell did in this game all night long. Speaking of great blocks, Connor Williams is phenomenal. He is very, very Very, very good. The Raheem red zone run on the opening drive. He takes the one technique and attaches his hip to Liam's on the double team. Not only does he move that one tech five yards downfield and two gaps over, he drives him right into a second level linebacker where Raheem stretches it and then maximizes leverage to cut off Connor's backside for a big rip. Perhaps my favorite part was Liam who crushes the rep too, starts to feel it. You see him come off the block, pumping his fist, clearly shouting something where your head's moving up and down and Connor Williams comes up to him and shoves him like, let's go man we did that that ish uh great stuff from connor williams thought it was a rough night for rob hunt second drive we get another raheem second level run who is in that second level clearing out a linebacker once again connor williams i will say it again he's so so good why are my notes so off kilter i don't know that's how it turned out to be but to me the last center we had playing this well went to the hall of fame it was dwight stevenson and yes this is a better stretch than anybody we've had even with mike pouncey when he was here connor williams has been fantastic through seven games. I sure do like the way Rob Hunt pulls and then throws his big butt into the gap where he turns and walls guys off. It's no small task, again, to run around a 300-pound man, get hands on him, control him, and then have the balance and athletic ability to swing the gate, and by gate, I mean your big backside, as it were, to seal off that lane. He's very good in that regard. Very athletic Rob Hunt. Uh, Back to Raheem. Again, notes are a bit scattered here. His ability to make a man miss with quickness in the backfield, then get to full speed. He's racking up yards after contact. I think it's a big part of it because he can make that first guy miss and then get to full speed quickly. The run after the catch on that first drive of the third quarter was so impressive. His little hop steps to correct leverage when the blocks are not correctly aligned, and then the explosive first step out of that is chef's kiss, man. Alec Ingold had a stellar block on Raheem's 12-yard run in the fourth quarter. Go check that out if you have the access to the tape. Chase Edmonds, another rough drop. That's an easy first down, third and seven, and probably a lot more than seven yards on that play. I'm not going to give you a reason for it. I mean, the guy caught 128 balls in four years of the Cardinals. I don't get it either. Then, like, the fourth down run, he has a touchdown around the edge. He takes it, but he cuts it back into the wash. That's one he's going to hate to see on tape. Another rough game there. Uh, Trent Sherfield, another excellent block in the running game on Chase Edmonds' nine-yard rip. He holds his block as well as any Dolphins receiver that I can remember down the field. He's very good in that regard. Then he comes back to the ball on the 32-yard gain. was absolutely gorgeous. I just love the way he understands leverage, spacing, and timing. Underrated acquisition this offseason, Trent Sherfield. Jalen Waddell, the way that he releases, or times his releases, I should say, stems guys and then explodes out of the breaks. To me, he looked back to himself in terms of the explosiveness that he should shows then we talk about the way he competes at the catch point that leaping catch is just not something you'd see from a typical 180 pound 4-3 receiver man he is he's something on the deep shot the Tyreek Hill that got broken up Jalen ran straight by the corner so badly that he fell over but the ball's already out to the other side another big game for Jalen Waddle Tyreek Hill the contested catch on third and six before the half was so money. If it's in the vicinity, he's going to pull it down, which is, again, crazy for a 4-2, 4-3 receiver who's five foot ten, right? It's just, it's absurd. His release game also so smooth. You just can't jam him. And since you, ha- you, you don't have to come up with creative ways to get him off the line, like motion and stacks, it allows you to do that stuff with other eligibles within the pattern. So offensively, not their best game. I 
fully trust I'll get it corrected. I'm glad it happened in a victory. Uh, but yeah, those are your takeaways. Let's go ahead and spin this forward here on the other side of the break here and talk about the defense that's next on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Back here on the Tuesday edition of the Drive Time Podcast, picking it back up with the defensive All-22 review, and we start with Jalen Phillips. It's going to be long here. We'll hear from Coach in just a minute about his game in the final segment. But my goodness, first play, second drive, rushing from the wide nine position, and Pickett pulls it back and runs a play-action boot away from Jalen and throws the flat under route to the tight end, to the other side of the field. So literally a 30-yard play away from Jalen Phillips. And he never stops running. And when the tight end cuts it back, there's 15 to put a huge hit on him. What an effort and what a sign that would be of things to come from Jalen Phillips. He had a second down play on the Steelers' first possession of the second quarter where he rushes from the four-eye, that is on the inside shoulder of the tackle, where he attacks the outside shoulder of the left guard and gets him to overset. And then from there, spins back off the inside of it like Dwight Freeney and loops back inside and cuts Pickett down after a short scramble to get us into a third and short situation. The read on the tackle for loss to start the third quarter was awesome. Just shot the gap, read the play, and got Najee Harris down in the backfield. Then he gets a sack on the very next play by using his punch with speed to power to walk the left tackle right back into the quarterback's lap. And it winds up being perfect because Zach Sealer had won so decisively that Pickett spins out of the interior pressure from Sealer and right into Phillips. Sealer, by the way, on that play, Two technique, head up over the guard, slants inside between he and the center, and just runs right through the center, knocks him backwards, and then is bearing down on Pickett as a free runner. That had to have made Pickett pretty scary because Sealer's a big, big, scary man, and it forced a a sack with two great plays by Phillips and Sealer on that play. I think the craziest part about this game with Phillips was that he garnered more attention as we went on. He'd beat a tackle with the rush, and then there's a guard coming over to help on the pass protection so double teams if he can keep that up it's only going to make everybody else across the board better I'm so impressed also by his processing there are a lot of plays where teams are trying to get him taken care of without blocking him which is a you know a zone read or multi-option stuff or hey if the defensive end crashes go outside vice versa and he just reacts very well he shut down that shovel pass darn near single-handedly by not taking the cheese on all the eye candy and then his pass rush forced so many plays late in the game to extend at a time where the clock was the Steelers enemy just so consistently forcing Pickett off the spot then retracing getting back into plays when he'd overrun it and get back in what a game for Jalen Phillips and I would not put tight ends on him and Van Ginkle because both those guys made plays in those situations all night long and speaking of Van Ginkle Early on, he condenses inside against the flow of a play, and the way he splits blocks or beats blocks, just sticks his foot in the ground, chucks the tight end, and makes the play flowing downhill, does it so consistently. There's a second and six play to start the second quarter where the boot action, Pickett takes the the route against the flow on that play action, and Van Ginkle's in coverage, and so he sees it, and he runs to depth. He doesn't attack Pickett, doesn't just get width. He gets depth to take a, take care of a potential over route from the other side of the formation and not only does he take away the window to Deontay Johnson from that backside crosser but his depth then allows him to play the short route underneath and come downhill and he closes on that and defends it it's such an insanely difficult play to defend because you have a 10-yard route you know a two-yard route and then the quarterback you have three levels and Van Ginkle took care of all three of them and basically forced them into the least 
dangerous position, and he closes it down and makes a tackle to put the Steelers in third down, a play before the Dolphins got a stop and forced a field goal. So it's really important stuff. And then he worked as a spy late in the game, too, after Pickett had a long scramble run, and they said, no, hey, 43, go get, the, go get your spy assignment on. And he took away the angles a few times like that on Kenny Pickett. Great game from both Phillips and Van Ginkle. Speaking of great games, I thought Duke Riley continues to play really well. The feel on that little slip screen where he plays the run, then gets depth, and then change of direction once again to go back upfield to make a tackle for loss. You see the athletic ability on display there. Melvin Ingram, the toss to the short side to Najee Harris where he beats two blocks was so oppressive from the tight angle, the end zone angle. And on that same play, Ben Stilley gets some crazy knockback and gets off the block to get over there and help get Harris down to the ground. His pass rush on the play before the Javon Holland interception forced a hold, Melvin Ingram, because he took the tackle so close to the quarterback that he snatched Ingram's shoulder pad and it was a very easy call for the ref to see. Staying at linebacker, Landon Roberts, thought there were some examples where he did a good job staying in tight to the trash to not let blockers come off and make the block on him, able to keep himself free and sift through it and finish the plays. Just a good play for this defense all night long. Christian Wilkins, man. You know, the elevation of Ben Steele I thought was interesting because Emmanuel Ogba's down and you pull up a defensive tackle. Like, what about an edge defender? Well, the answer was Christian Wilkins played a lot of those roles by kicking outside, playing the four-eye, playing the five technique. And just, he does it so well. He can play anywhere on the defensive line. He made that great play on the double reverse play. Just business as usual for him, though. Stacking, two-gapping, getting off blocks, and making plays. Raekwon Davis does such a good job. Because when you when you run the football right, you want to check to the side that gives you a box advantage. Hey, they have three defenders. I have four blockers. Let's run that. Let's run three on three. If it's two on three, don't run it. Raekwon Davis does a good job of eliminating advantageous box counts from that nose tackle spot because you count the blockers versus defenders, and he can quickly get over there with that fast get-off he has, but also the strength to just take his man through the play and erase the advantage they have. He did it a few times in this game. Moving to the secondary, Justin Bethel. The interception gets the pop. It rightly deserves for sure. But the difficulty on that play, I think, is what maybe you haven't seen yet. The slot fade with the three-way go, inside, outside, over the top. With the safety, Javon Holland shaded to the other side of the field, and Javon got over the top because he's one of the best safeties in the National Football League and has crazy range. But Bethel has to operate in this situation under the assumption that he's alone on the island because you just can't assume that Javon's going to get over there because what if he takes the cheese to the play side? He mirrors the release, then gets hands on Claypool as he makes his break for the slot fade, and right there you know the route. And so because of that, he reroutes him ever so slightly, gets into phase on that hip pocket, Then he's going to play back to the outside going around the hip of Claypool because he sees Holland coming over the top and he knows Holland has inside, I'll take outside. And when he does that, Claypool trips and then Justin just tracks it down like King Griffey Jr. taking a fly ball over the shoulder in center field. What a freaking play that was. The very next play, the very next uh, target, I should say, for Justin Bethel. He fights through a block and makes a tough tackle on the perimeter on the dangerous Deontay Johnson. What a game for Bethel. What a game for Noah Igbenogany. I thought his best play of the night, even better than the pick, was the third and three incompletion that he forced. The Steelers are approaching the red zone. They want to rub Justin Bethel on a third and three, a little flat throw to Deontay Johnson, where he shows motion and Justin follows him, which is an indicator, man coverage. He returns back to the same side on that motion, and they snap it with him on the move to create that outflanked leverage. And they get it. It's such a tough play for Bethel to make because he has to go over a pick and make the play in a short amount of time. It's just not really doable. 
but it is for Noah Igbenogany, who has a chance, and boy, does he take it. He sees the pick, fights through it, and then closes off Johnson's access to the sticks. Pickett has to make a super tight window throw. It goes high. We're off the field. Exceptional play from Noah Igbenogany. Now, in the next series, we busted a coverage, and it looks like Igbo thinks he has the half, you know, half too high safety or a too high look where you have one half and one half to the other side. Because he runs to a spot away from the receiver, Pickett sees that leverage and takes it, and it's a huge gain for 30-something yards. We've limited these busts really all year long, but it reared its ugly head right here, especially coming off a negative play, backed up, second and 13. We just haven't given our offense many short fields this year. That was a chance to get one. We bust, and we lose a chance to do it. But redemption on the pick. I loved how he pinned Deontay Johnson to the sideline and kept that hand on him to feel where he was as he got eyes back to the quarterback. I'm not sure what the thought was on the throw, but Noah saw it, caught it, feet in, game over. Xavier Howard, you don't have a lot of targets to work off of, but if you watch the game back, just watch the receivers against him when he's not targeted. Like, there's a reason they spent the game just essentially not even looking at X. Half the dang time, the white jersey is covered up by the 25 aqua jersey. It was like that all night long. The only completions they really got on him were when he's turning in zone turn, butt to the sideline, get out and get depth with a zone linebacker or safety kind of buzz in the flat. But anytime they tried to get vertical on him or run man coverage or a route against man coverage, he took out the sun on that one, on those plays. I gave the play on the corner route to Claypool a lot of run on the Monday podcast, but it bears mentioning again, such a great read by him to put himself in perfect position. A, a, a switch by he and Bethel to the, that side of the formation gets him off the field in a crucial third down spot. Tremendous, tremendous play by Clayton Fedulum to time the snap count and get in there on that third and one run stuff. He also saved a huge play on that second to last drive right before Holland's pick where they had Fryermuth up the seam, but he fully extends and just got a piece of the ball for the pass breakup. Huge play from Clayton Fedulum. Uh, Brandon Jones had a hell of a fill on a second down run stuff at the end of the first quarter. Last play that we saw really, not or the last play of the first quarter, I should say, but sucks that he might be out for a while, man. He was playing so well. Uh, Javon Holland, his angles and tackling have been so good the last few weeks. His range coming over the top and coverage and the instances where he has to take someone man up. It's just like a full complement of, of his game on display. And then there's the pick. I mean, he and Elijah Campbell are too high and a five-man shell underneath them. Elijah rotates at the snap to the post and Javon steps down. I'm thinking, okay, here we go. Reading eyes all the way on the quarterback, fires out of that back pedal before the receiver comes out of his break, drives on it, game-changing play. What a great play from a great player. In general, I sure like the way he, we funnel help into coverage. You wouldn't know that we are deep into our defensive backfield rotation right now with how smooth the communication has been on that side. So the defense continues to get the job done. Let's go ahead and take our last break. We'll come back and do stats snap counts and mike mcdaniel's monday press conference all of that next here on the drive time podcast your host travis wingfield brought to you by auto nation longer podcast today i'll be honest with you guys i do tend to spend more time on the quarterback position when two is out there so that's going to be the reason we have a 40 45 minute show for y'all let's go ahead and pick this back up in segment number three taking a look at the stats from the game from the season so far and i want to start with this at the quarterback position because what's the number one thing you hear pundits and media types and what have you clamor about with a quarterback does he make his teammates better well tua is sacked on 3.8 percent of his dropbacks that's the fourth lowest rate in the National Football League. In the four games that Tua has played and finished, he's been sacked just six times. The other three games, nine sacks. Same deal as last year. We saw it with Jacoby Brissett. We saw it with any quarterback that's played here besides Tua. It's different. The ball's out quick. In fact, it was his fastest time to throw on Sunday at 2.43 seconds this season. He hit one of three balls on 
uh, throws over 20 yards for 32 yards. He was 8 for 14 with 149 in the intermediate, the 10 to 19 yard range, where he continues to shine in that area this season. The oddity was 10 of 16 on passes between 0 and 9 yards, but there were three drops on those. Under the blitz, 5 of 8 for 60 yards. Under pressure, 2 for 5 with 20 yards. On the season, QBR, 72. That's third in the NFL. EPA, 25.6. That's number two per dropback. Quarterback rating or passer rating, 105.9 is fourth. Sack rate, 3.8%. That's fourth. Touchdown percentage, 6%. That's fourth. Interception percentage, 2 that's 17th, but 1.9 pushing the top 12. So hopefully some more turnover-free football can get us right back in the top 10 where we belong. Yards per attempt, 8.6 first. Net yards gained per drop back, that includes sacks and yardage loss from those, 7.97. He is first, and most importantly, 17-9 and as the starter of this team. At running back, did you know that 321 rushing yards last three weeks is the best three-week total since December 2020? Raheem has eight runs of 10-plus yards over that stretch, a stretch where he's averaging 3.5 yards after initial contact and has forced 10 missed tackles. He had 56 yards after contact last year. Edmonds had 14 of his 17 after contact as well. Raheem's 388 yards are 20th in the NFL. His 4.5 yards per rush is 17th among backs with at least 10 carries per game. At receiver, Waddle had 88 yards on five targets. That's 17.6 yards per target. Another game over two yards per route ran. He was at 2.67, and 35 of his yards came after the catch. Tyreek at 2.06 yards per route ran. That's a little bit lower than his average. 72 yards on 13 targets. Again, that's not what we're used to from him, but so close on a couple of those from being like another 200-yard day for Tyreek. 14 of those yards were after the catch. Trent Sherfield caught all three of his targets for 44 yards. Mike Gesicki pulled in three of his seven for 27 yards. And Raheem also adds 30 yards through the air on four catches, five targets, and a touchdown. 22 of his yards were after the catch. Tyreek leads the NFL with 57 grabs and 773 receiving yards. He is 1.1 yards per game ahead of Stephon Diggs. I have to imagine that battle will continue all season long, right down to week 18. Waddle is fourth in the NFL with 621 receiving yards. He's fifth with 18.3 yards per catch. And between those two guys, five touchdowns and 61 first downs. Waddle is 11.5 yards per target. Tyreek is 9.9. That's first and 10th among receivers with at least five targets per game. How about the offensive line, man? Armstead and Williams, no pressures. Eichenberg, one pressure. Hunt, one pressure. Shell, two pressures. One QB hit all night. Maybe the best out of the entire game. On the season, Teron Armstead, 97.1 pass block efficiency. Connor Williams, 98.7 pass block efficiency. Both of those are top 10 among tackles and centers this season. On defense, Phillips had seven freaking pressures in the game. Sealer, Wilkins, and Ingram had two apiece. Davis, Van Ginkle, Egwavon, and Roberts had one apiece. Run stops, Phillips had six of those. Van Ginkle had six of those. He played seven rundown snaps and 12 in coverage, so 19 snaps, one-third of his snaps where he's not rushing the quarterback, he makes a tackle within two yards of the line of scrimmage. Wilkins, Baker, and Riley had three run stops apiece, and six players had one, including Ben Stilley, getting on the board. Jalen Phillips is 13th among all edge defenders in both pressures, 25, and run stops with 15. He's been fantastic this season. Coverage snaps and yards allowed. Holland, 53 snaps, 8 yards allowed. Continues to get stuff done for him. Uh, Almost said the other word there. Eric Rowe, 17 coverage snaps, 21 yards allowed. Verone McKinley, 15 coverage snaps and 7 yards allowed. At the cornerback spot, we know this this is a little more, you know, yards allowed uh, typically. Igbenogany, 53 coverage snaps, 65 yards allowed. Xavier Howard, 
53 coverage snaps, 35 yards allowed. How about Justin Bethel, 46 coverage snaps, 54 yards allowed. Very good work from the boys out there at the cornerback position. There you go, deep dive. Uh, uh, we already took our last break. We're going to go ahead and pick it right back up with the snap counts here. A little bit over the, all over the place here on my, uh, on my script, following along here. But let's go ahead and talk about snap counts. The entire offensive line goes wire to wire. 62 snaps for those guys and to Otunga Vailoa. Tyreek Hill leads receivers with 55 snaps. That's 90% of the workload. Waddle played 49. And then Sherfield plays 35. That's 56% of the workload. Those are pretty clear top three receivers right there here for the Miami Dolphins with River Craycraft playing six snaps and Cedric Wilson playing four snaps. And uh, at tight end, Mike Gasicki, 38 snaps. That led all tight ends, 61%, with Durham Smythe playing 26 Hunter Long played four. Tanner Connor played two. At running back, Mostert, 44 snaps. That's 71%. Chase Edmonds, 18 snaps. That's 29%. So a pretty, uh, pretty clear split there between those guys. On defense, Igbenogany, Holland, and Howard did not leave the field. All 75 snaps. Jerome Baker played 69 snaps. Nice. That's 92%. Christian Wilkins played 61 snaps, 81% of the workload. And Jalen Phillips played 60 snaps. Those guys, their conditioning is unreal. Bethel gives us 59 defensive snaps. Zach Sealer gives us 59 as well. Raekwon, 45. Man, Brandon Jones had 42 before he had to exit. E-Rob, 35. Melvin Ingram, 33. Duke Riley, 29. Andrew Van Ginkle, 24. <laughs> Van Ginkle was productive on 24 snaps, man. Fedulum, 18. Rowe, 17. McKinley, 16. John Jenkins, 15. Eguavon and Ben Stilley, 9 apiece. Lots of guys getting caught up on to play snaps in this game. I think you're getting a pretty good, clear, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Pretty clear example of how the rotations go and who's up and in what situations as this Dolphins defense goes and Dolphins offense as well. Let's go ahead and finish up with Mike McDaniel's press conference. He talked about Austin Jackson, who might not practice this week. He might come back and practice, but they're going to continue to evaluate him. But he did say he learned that Austin Jackson wants to go. So they might have to protect the player from himself in terms of getting him back out there. Uh, it sounds like Brandon Jones might miss some time. He, coach said that it's going to probably go on IR this week, and they'll get second opinions to determine the severity of the injury. But he said he's not excited about that one at all. No Byron Jones back this week. We still kind of wait on the timeline there with him. And uh, yeah, this team is a little bit banged up right now, which you, you know that. Let's go ahead and hear from Coach right now about being a little bit off timing-wise on the offense and how he would say, that's a good thing because you get a victory and a chance to correct those things. Here's Coach McDaniel on the timing of the offense being just a smidge off on Sunday night football. I, I definitely saw that. Um, they knew it during the game. And I think it was uh, a great examples of, you know, we, we talk a lot about um, our timing of our offense and, um, you know, when we want things out of our breaks and how we're expecting um, quarterbacks to anticipate and receivers to run the routes and there's um, it was a there was seemed there was more than a handful of situations where um, our expectation is to um, catch something running and that's kind of what we work on and we fell short because of um, you know there was just a little bit of you know hesitation or um, you know j just straying away from our fundamentals and when you're able to still find a way to win, um, it's, it's awesome to have those experiences uh, because now you can learn from them um, because that was a, you know, there was like five or six examples of um, it's a much different looking ball game and uh, we're scoring the points that we expect to score if 
you know, we're meeting our expectations that are simple fundamentals. So um, it's something that uh, is encouraging because we can control it, and that's something that we're, uh, all of our guys will expect to clean up in the weeks moving forward. You heard me wax poetic about Brandon Shell's performance at right tackle. Why don't we hear from the head coach himself on Brandon Shell? Again, he continues to impress. Um, uh, you know, I thought he did some really, really good things. And on top of, you know, in the short period of time, the stuff that he's had to master, I think he's um, playing, um, playing very well. Been very proud of him. He's fitting right, right into the culture. Um, continues to get better, um, and is, is a real strong dude that um, understands angles and, and and how to block people. So it's been fun. Um, to, to watch him develop, and he's, he's making our offensive line group um, as a whole better um, by his uh, good play. Love this next answer here from Coach, talking about the gratification you get from seeing a player like Noah Igbenogany overcome some adversity and make a huge play for your team to win the game late. Here's Coach on why that's the best part of coaching. That is the best part of coaching, that's the best case scenario. That's the most rewarding because that is the true. Um, th- that's why it's such a cool experience that you can viscerally feel from the rest of the, the locker room and all the players because you recognize um, expectations and, and, you know, hardships and, you know, having to deal with the, the, the pressures that, that come with being a talented athlete and being young, and then to see people persevere through some hardship that's, that epitomizes every, everything that I get into coaching for that's like as good as it gets. So um, that, that's, uh, I think uh, Noah could feel it. I think the whole team, um, it just goes to show the type of locker room we have and how people are really rooting for each other and believe in each other, which is one of the reasons why we have so many guys stepping up um, uh, because of injury, because there's, there's a lot of belief in each other and people are bringing the best out of each other, which is uh, nothing better than seeing that, really. Let's go ahead and finish up here with some great audio. I love the comment he makes about Jalen Phillips here, about the effort that he put in. Ask Coach about Jalen Phillips and Andrew Van Ginkle, two of the stars of the game. Here's Coach. I saw um, guys rising to the occasion when their team needed them most. Um, I saw uh, I saw Van Ginkle really stop pressing to make plays and played full tilt um, within the scheme, and as a result, made a ton of plays, strained a ton. Um, and I saw some of the some of the best effort that I've that I've witnessed on a um, from a player playing 60 snaps in the final 10 snaps of his of his game with Jalen Phillips. He was um, he he's known as a as a as a strainer and a hard worker, um, but he was playing at a speed um, at the uh, end of the game that uh, his, his teammates noticed and felt um, and give him a chance uh, to do some cool things for us later in games with, with effort and strain like that. 
speaks to all of his preparation and how good of shape he is. Um, it was pretty impressive. All righty, long podcast. Let's go ahead and call it right there. I'm very pumped because now my official primetime coverage this year, at least unless we get flexed, is over. And it's late on a Monday night talking to you guys around 7 o'clock, working all day after not sleeping on Sunday night. So I'm very pumped about that. Let's go ahead and get out of here. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. When you check out Wingfield NFL, check out our Wednesday night Twitter spaces show with me, Seth, and OJ. Also the Fish Tank Podcast, the international podcast here on the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. Check out the YouTube channel for media availabilities, Dolphins Today, Fish Tank, and Drive time content up there as well and last but not least miamidolphins.com until next time fins up caroline daddy's coming home